wife and kids. I really thought I was giving them the very best that I had. It was fun to watch my family grow, but it always seemed like I was watching them grow from the outside. Vacations that I spent on my cell phone, pictures of my family in my office that never included me, kids that were growing up and growing farther and farther from me. It seems as if the harder I worked to give them what they needed, the worse it got. A friend told me about a guy named Josh McDowell. And the more I read about his story, the more I realized how wrong I had it. My family did not want me to provide more stuff. They wanted, well, they needed me. They needed me to help with homework. They needed me to be at soccer practice. They needed me to stand as the man of our household. The lessons I learned from Josh McDowell have changed my life and the lives of my children. Thank you, Josh. Good morning, men. Please welcome Josh McDowell. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. And I got to say this. If I couldn't be with my family today, there's no place I would rather be than here with you. I can honestly say that. Because it's people like you that will make a difference. What an evening and morning it's been. I don't know about you, but I'm full and overflowing. I don't know how you have anything left to hear me, really. I mean, last night as Tim talked about standing tall in your profession. And now, oh man, I enjoyed that last night. He's, he's good on his feet. And I don't know who that other guy was up here kept interrupting him. But... Uh, then, Luter, stand tall, wow, stand tall in the midst of adversity. And then Phil this morning, stand tall in your church. That is by far the best talk presentation I've ever heard on why we ought to be in church. I'm going to make sure every pastor I know gets that. I'm serious. It is excellent. Now this morning they've asked me to speak on stand tall in the family. My background leads to anything but standing tall because my background has pretty much been the presence of failure of families. Growing up, my father, I grew up in Union City, Michigan, was a town alcoholic. Look, many of you had an alcoholic parent. You know what I'm talking about. Every day of your life, you carry shame. Every day. And I carried that for years, and I still carry it. From 6 to 13 years of age, every week for seven years, three to four times a week, I was homosexually raped. In my own home by a man by the name of Wayne Bailey, when I was six years old, he was hired to be a cook and a chef. And my mother would go away, anything else, she'd go out to the fields, take a vacation, whatever. She'd make me stand in front of that man, say, no, you obey Wayne, you do everything he tells you to do. And if you're disobedient, you're going to get a thrashing when I get home. Finally, at 13, I told my mother at 9, she wouldn't believe me, made me go out and break a twig off the willow tree in the backyard, take my shirt off. And she kept whipping me until I said I was lying. At 13, I was strong enough. He approached me, put his hand on my right shoulder. I spun around, cut my hand around his throat, 
pushed me against the wall and said, if you ever touch me again, I will kill you. And I would have. After I trusted Jesus. After I trusted Jesus, I knew I had to do it. I didn't want to because I wanted that man to burn in hell. But by faith, not because of any feeling, I drove to Jackson, Michigan, and I said, Wayne, I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And I've come here to tell you, and what I told him, I did not want it to be true. Ooh, I didn't want it to be true. I knew it was true, but I didn't want it to be. When I said, Wayne, I've come here to tell you that Jesus died as much for you as he did for me, I forgive you. If I hadn't have done that, if I hadn't have done that, I would have destroyed my life, my marriage, my family, and I never would have had a ministry. The power of forgiveness. But with all that background, I was scared to get married, and I was scared to have children. And I worked so hard. What I'm going to share with you some things here. You say, oh, yeah, Josh, it's easy for you. I will stand nose to nose with any man here. You can give me any excuse you want not to be an effective father or grandfather, and I'll stand nose to nose with you. If God can do it in my life, he can do it in your life. And it's never, ever too late. Ever. I was desperate. And so I looked at men. I wouldn't have made it without the church, which was Dick Day, Jim Simpson, Paul Lewis, Steve Arterburn, and Dr. Henry Cloud. Without those dearest, closest friends coming around me, speaking to me, ministering the Word of God into my life, I wouldn't be here this morning. So what I'm going to share with you is the results of a desperate man coming out of the background that should have destroyed everything. But don't get me wrong, folks. Every day I struggle with being sexually raped. Every day of my life. Every day of my life I pay a price for having an alcoholic father. And for the violence of my family. My dad wasn't trying to kill my mother. I was trying to kill my dad. And so I was desperate. I never knew you could have a family who would die for you. My three daughters and my son would literally die for me. I never knew you could have a family that love each other so much. And they call her their mother their shining star, and they call me their superhero, Superman. Sunday, all my kids are taking me to see Superman. They said a super dad should see Superman. Yeah. But they had the promise, they had the promise they'd buy the popcorn. But uh, I never knew you could have a family like that. I never knew you could be married to a woman who would actually change your life more than Jesus. I never knew, I never dreamed that a woman could love a man as much as Dottie loves me. I've never seen it in a Hollywood movie, a video, a romance novel or anything. The dimension of love of Dottie for me. And when she found out about me being sexually raped and everything else, when I finally went public with that, I don't know how to made it without my wife. 
She is my hero, my greatest hero in life. I hold her in the highest esteem. So gentlemen, I want you to remember what I'm going to share this morning because you won't by just listening to me. You might have a photographic mind, but you don't have any film. And so, in other words, a digital mind, no memory card. <laughs> and so off and on, they're going to put up there, I think they already have a slide. You just email me, josh.mcdowell at josh.org. That's easy enough to remember. I will send you all my PowerPoint, all my notes. I will send you an annotated outline of every point with the stories attached within those points. I will get that right off to you. The reason I want you to email me, then I don't have to take and make a list of everything. All I have to do is hit a button, it'll send it to you automatically. And it would take a lot of time off me. And uh, so if you just email me at josh.mcdowell at josh.org, I will email you things you can take to your pastor, the, e the PowerPoints, everything. And I'm only using just a little tiny portion of my PowerPoints this morning. You can send it to your pastor, everything, by just emailing me. How to stand tall in your family. Just four or five simple principles. One, the greatest security of a child today, when they look at their fathers, not knowing my father loves me. That's a big mistake today. Most people think, well, the greatest thing I have to do is my kid needs to know I love them. Nope, that's secondary. It used to be true, but not anymore. Now, the greatest security of a child is not knowing my dad loves me or my mom loves me. No, it's knowing my father loves my mother and they will not divorce, period. That's the greatest security of a child today. My son, when he was six years old, came home from school and he wasn't quite himself. I said, what's wrong, son? He said, nothing. I said, I never say, what do you think? I say, son, what are you feeling? He said, dad, are you going to leave mom? I was waiting for that. I said, why do you ask? Three of his friends, their parents had just divorced. And no matter how secure you are in your family, kids are growing up today with the same anxiety and everything of kids, very broken, hurting homes, and everything else, because they think no matter how much my dad loves my mother, he's going to leave. I got down on my knees, looked at that six-year-old and I, and I said, son, I want you to know something. I love your mother. I'm committed to your mother. And I raised my voice and I said, I will never leave your mother, period. That little boy went, oh, thanks, dad. Did he need to know that I loved him? No. He needed to know that I was passionate about his mother. That's the greatest security <laughs> and that's the foundation for standing strong in your home. This is why. Don't you ever hesitate to constantly, I don't care, old you are, young you are, whatever, grandparent, whatever, kissing your wife, hugging her, holding her, romancing her right in front of your children. My kids will go, oh, daddy, that's awful. I say, okay, I won't do it again. No, 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 no. <laughs> My kids know. In fact, when I wrote one of my latest books, How to Talk to Your Child About Sex in the Day of the Internet and Pornography, and I sent a video crew to my house. And one of the questions they asked, because I want to be able to incorporate the real accurate information into my book from my own family. And one of the questions was, when was the first time your parents ever talked to you about sex? My son and my three daughters immediately said, I don't know. He always talked about it. 
We talked about it at the breakfast table, the lunch table, and the dinner table. We well, have to in the day of the internet. Second question was this. What was your greatest motivation to stay pure? Now think of this. With all the pressure, what is your greatest motivation to stay pure? All four of my kids immediately answered, because I always wanted what my daddy has with my mother and it was worth waiting for. Men, you are the key to your family. They wanted to find out, is there any force greater than some of the forces in a young person's life? Because most parents are so afraid, am I going to lose my child? Will I lose them through videos, movies, television, the internet? Will I lose my child through pornography? The peer pressure. Everybody talks about peer pressure. Then into high school, college peer pressure. Will I lose my child? So they did a major study, which I documented. And they concluded after millions of dollars, there's only one force greater than peer pressure, than movies, videos, internet, television, high school, university. There's only one force greater. You know what it is? A loving, intimate, close relationship with one's daddy. Not the mother. Not the mother. The father. Is the only factor that's more powerful. I'll put it this way, men. Without you, your kids probably won't make it today. They won't. Without a loving, intimate, close relationship with you, your children will not make it. And your grandkids. So even though I have seven steps, I'm only going to share four simple principles that helped me. And I had to work at it and work at it and work at it to build a relationship where my children, where my son and my three daughters would literally die for me. They always want to be together. My son's saying, Dad, I want us the next three years. My son and I are going to travel together on tour called Heroic Truth. My daughter said, Dad, I'm now a child psychiatrist, physician. Pretty soon you and I can write a book together about young people. Four simple steps. One is availability. Availability. Ah, oh, men and women. When we are available to our children, simply says one thing. I am important to my daddy. You can tell your child all you want. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You don't spend time with them. You remember one thing. You're in kind of kind, you can fool a fool, but you'll never kid a kid. You'll be the biggest hypocrite on the face of the earth. You know how kids spell love? T-I-M-E. Time. In Matthew, Jesus was doing some pretty mighty works. Now, come on. He was healing the sick, praying over them, preaching the gospel, turning stones into tortillas. And he heard this commotion. And he turned around. Here was a group of parents coming, probably the moms, because they wanted their kids to be blessed. They wanted to hang out with Jesus. Could you imagine, say, Jesus prayed over my daughter. Wow. And Jesus heard this commotion. All the disciples, can't you see? He's busy. He's doing God's work. Look, lady, get a number. Remember what Jesus said? Forsake not those little children from coming unto me. It breaks my heart how many times I forsook my own children. 
Not now, Sean, I'm tired. Katie, I've wanted to watch this game all week. Alabama is playing that other school, what is it? Is it Auburn. My daughter graduated from Auburn. <laughs> Honey, I've got to get to the airport. I'll talk to you when I get back. Every time I was saying, you are not as important as. If we don't have time to be available to our children, we don't have time for anything. And folks, if I can do it, you can do it. I've made 17,000 airplane flights, more than anyone in history probably. I've given 27,000 talks. I don't think anyone could match that. I've lectured and debated in over 1,250 universities. No one's done 300 universities in history. If I can do it, oh, Dad, you can do it. You can do it. But it starts with mentality. I was coming home from a long trip. Oh, I was exhausted. And my adopted daughter, my fourth daughter, we adopted. If I were younger, we'd adopt two or three more. I'm a better father, a better husband. I'm a better lover because we adopted Heather at 25 days old. Now she's 27, got two of the greatest grandkids any grandfather could ever anticipate in life. And I got home and she said, Daddy, can we go to the mall together? We lived in Dallas. There was this fabulous mall in North Dallas. We, didn't, we never went to buy anything. We just went there and hugged each other, held hands, walked around, looked at stuff and all. And my wife says, Honey, your dad's very tired. I said, No. And boy, I reached down, sucked it up, and I said, Let's go, honey. I just dropped my attache bag right there, walked right out of the door, and we went up to the mall for two and a half hours. You know what that said to my daughter? I'm important to my daddy. I'm important to my daddy. When pagers came out, I got one special pager just for me, one number, only my kids knew it. And they knew everywhere I went, I had that pager. And if they hit that number, we had a code. If it was emergency, dad call home right now is 911. 777 was, dad, I love you. When you have time, would you call me? And they knew all over the world, everywhere, they were a priority. I was available to my children. Gentlemen, it doesn't matter what else you do if you're not available. I grew up thinking that I missed out so much in life because my dad was always drunk. He never had time for me. He was an embarrassment downtown in the gutters where I'd walk across the street to not even be identified with him in Union City, Michigan. And I grew up feeling sorry for myself that I didn't have some of the relationships with their dads that some of my friends had. But after I became a father and my second child, I realized I'm not the one that missed out. My father did. My father missed the joy of raising me. Men, don't miss out. Don't miss out. Second, after availability, is affirmation. This is probably where most of us men fall down. Affir what do you mean by affirmation? Affirming their emotions. In the scriptures, in Romans 12, it says, Weep with those who weep 
and rejoice with those who rejoice. The New Living Translation puts it this way. When others are happy, be happy with them. That's what it means to rejoice with those who rejoice. If they are sad, share their sorrow. That's what it means to weep with those who weep. When they're sad, share their sorrow. Oh, if any one principle I had ever learned of being a dad, I wish it was this one. But it goes contrary to most of our own natures as men. Affirming a child's emotion communicates to them authenticity. Let me show you how for years I would handle it with my kids, with my wife. Say my wife, something happened in her life or something else, and I'd see she was crying and everything else, and I'd say, honey, what's wrong? And she'd dump on me. So-and-so did this or said, and it really hurt. I had the male, M-A-L-E, response. First, honey, don't let it get to you. In other words, suck it up. Second, they don't know what they're talking about. Blame game. Women are always right, and men are never wrong. The blame game. We always like to blame someone. Third, honey, there's three things you could have done. Fix it. Fourth, quote scripture. Make him feel guilty. All four of those are sin. How could quoting scripture be sin? Very simple. When you ought to be living it and you quote it, that's sin. The Bible doesn't say if somebody is hurting, quote scripture. It says share their sorrow. It doesn't say if somebody is hurting, if our child or our wife is hurting, it doesn't say fix it. You can do that later. My son was All-American in basketball in the university. Shortest kid in his class. What that kid could do with a basketball was incredible. And in high school, we had a coach from a minority group that just didn't know how to coach. And he just belittled the kids. That's how he motivated them. And my son came home and the coach had said something done. Now you have to understand, my son was a star. He would have done anything for that coach. He made that coach look good. And my son came home and was crying because of what had happened. Now my instinct was, I want to go down. Son, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to talk to that coach. That's not what he wanted. He just wanted me to know I understood. And I remember I put my arms and I said, son, I'm so sorry. That must have really hurt. Son, I hurt for you. I love you. And then he just gripped me. You see, all he needed to know was I understood. He didn't want me to fix it. You can fix it later. You can quote scripture later. That's not the time to quote scripture. Well, you know, son, God says. You want to drive your kid away from him? Do that. Like one kid came down, 28,000 men like this. He's way up top. He ran all the way down. He said, Mr. McDowell, will you come up and talk to my dad? Every time we start getting close, Jesus gets in the way. I knew what he's talking about. My dad always brings Jesus up, quotes the scripture, quotes the scripture, instead of just listening to it. Jesus gets in the way with so many kids with their daddy. He says, if somebody's hurting, share their sorrow. This businessman heard me speak on this. The next day in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Came home from school. He's an entrepreneur. Came home from work. He was about 35, 37 years old, about 4 o'clock. And about 4.30, his 8-year-old son was running through the house, hardwood floors, tripped on a rug, and fell. And he started to cry. He said, Josh, I started to come up my way. Come on, son, get up. That couldn't hurt that much. Now, come on, be a man. Stand up. He said, I kept hearing you. Affirm, affirm, affirm. 
Oh, I wish I had a video of this. This man walks over to an eight-year-old son crying on the floor. He gets down on his hands and knees, and he leans over his son, and he said, I just whispered to him, son, I'm so sorry. That must have really hurt. Son, I hurt for you. I love you. He said, my son looked up to me, and all he said was, thanks, Dad. You know what? I said, mister, you keep doing that, you're going to die a happy man because your kids are still going to come home. You see, he couldn't say, well, you shouldn't have been running through the house. No, that's not what he needed. He just wanted to know my daddy understood. My daughter in medical school. Oh, wow. They study hard. I came home about midnight. She was hitting the books, and I said, honey, you got a heart exam? I said, dad, hardest exam, medical school. So I prayed with her. Got up early the next morning, 4 o'clock, because they leave for school early. Walked out the car, prayed with her again, and I said, Honey, what time is the exam? She said, 9 o'clock. I said, Look, the moment you finish, I want you to call me and tell me how it went. But, Daddy, you'll be speaking. I said, That's okay. I'll put my phone on, on vibration. So about 11.15, I'm talking about 500 corporate executives in San Bernardino, California. And my phone vibrated. I looked down, and it was my daughter. I said, Excuse me, men. But one of the most important people in my life needs her daddy's attention. So I turned on and picked it up, and I said, Honey, how did it go? She said, Daddy, I got a 98. Before I learned this lesson affirming my child's emotion when they're happy, be happy with them, I would have said, Honey, that's wonderful, but look, I'm speaking right now. When you get home, we'll talk. The Bible doesn't say, If somebody's happy when they get home, talk to them. It said, No, when somebody's happy, hemorrhage. You don't bleed, you hemorrhage. So right there in front of 500 corporate executives, I went on, honey, that's so wonderful. You've got to be so happy. I'm so happy for you. Your mom and I are so proud of you. For the next two years of medical school, she called me after almost every single exam. Why? Instead of building a barrier, I was building a bridge. Men, step out of your comfort zone into your uncomfort zone where you want to fix it. You want to correct something. You want, don't do it. Just affirm them. You can correct it later. You can, you can fix it later. You can quote scripture later when it's godly, not then. If they're happy, affirm their happiness. Hardest time to do that is when you're sad. That's when you reach down by faith. And, and I've learned in my life there's been some hard times. But God has always honored it. And by faith, I obeyed the scripture. Availability, affirmation. And then, this is so key. This is one of the most fun. Appreciation. Appreciation. When we express appreciation to our children, it says one thing. I am significant. What is significance? Significance is that feeling or thought that I've done or said something worthwhile. How do you express that? Appreciation. Look at the baptism of Jesus. If they'd had video, then they'd had a whole video crew there. Jesus comes up out of the water after baptism, says the heavens open up, and the Heavenly Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What was the Heavenly Father saying? Son, I appreciate you. Was there a time you said in front of others, this is my daughter whom I so love and appreciate. This is my son in whom I so appreciate. I had to totally change the way I was parenting. I was parenting to the way... I thought my pastor taught, and he did. I was parenting the way I thought my church taught, and he did. I was parenting the way I thought the Bible taught, and it didn't. I parented 
by catching my kids doing things wrong and discipline them. First of all, that's really dumb. Second, it doesn't work. And third, it's not biblical. Because if it was biblical, it wouldn't be dumb and it'd work. So I had to totally change my approach to my children. Now, here was the principle. I had to first mentally adjust to catch my children doing things right. Isn't that a new concept? Catch them doing things right and express appreciation. It doesn't mean you don't catch them doing things wrong and discipline them. But you know what I learned with my three daughters and my son? The more over the years I caught them doing things right and expressed appreciation, the less there was to catch them doing things wrong and discipline them. It's a life principle. I believe for my children, when I wrote the book, How to Be a Hero to Your Child, I analyzed raising my children, and I concluded, for every time I caught my children doing something wrong, where if I truly loved them, I would discipline them, there was probably 25 things they had done right. If I don't take time to catch my kids doing things right, I have lost biblically the right to discipline them because it'll backfire. It'll catch up with you eventually negatively. I had to change my whole mind to constantly had to be looking, listening, everything to catch my kids doing things right. Thank you, Kelly, for putting your clothes in the hamper. Your mom will appreciate that. Sean, thanks for sweeping off the porch. I appreciate that. Now would you do the other half? My children, my three of my first four were valedictorians all the way through school. One hundreds. And I'd go over the report cards with them. And I always find a way to say this. I say, honey, Katie, I'm so proud of you of all the work you've done. I really appreciate all the effort you put into this. But I want you to know something. I don't love you. I don't accept you because you're a good student. I love and accept you. Now, man, if you remember anything else here with your kids, my kids heard this scores of time, all the time. Honey, I love you because you're my daughter. Creating the image of God with infinite value, dignity, and worth. I just went over and over, but I always found a way in there to express appreciation. My first three kids won all the science fairs, everything, went to the state, the whole bit. My fourth daughter didn't. But she worked so hard. And I'm sitting down the front. She didn't play. She wanted to place because we have a big party. I drive all the kids to the state, everything else. And I pack the car full of candy. The only time I would, candy that all their friends that are going to the science fair like and drinks, everything else, because everybody wanted to ride with me because of what we did. That's the only time I ever did it. And uh, she didn't even place. And I could see she was so discouraged. And I leaned over. She said recently, it was one of the greatest things I ever said to her. I leaned over and I said, honey, I know you really wanted to win. She said, Dad, I really did. But honey, I want you to know something. As your dad, I just appreciate all the effort you put into this science project. Honey, it was incredible. I so appreciate all that you learned. Think of what you learned. I said, honey, if you keep doing this, you're going to rise above the crowd and change your world. She says, Daddy, that's some of the great, one of the greatest things you ever said to me. And I just simply said, I appreciate all the effort you put into this. Sometimes it's an attitude where they could have really lost their cool. And they didn't. That's right. I mean, you've got to do it instantly. Step in. Kelly, 
I just so appreciate your attitude. It's so wonderful. Where so many would have lost their temper, got so upset, and you didn't. I just really, as your daddy, I appreciate. Oh, let me tell you, folks, that's when a kid would die for you because they become significant to my daddy, to my mommy. Catch them doing things right and express appreciation. And it is fun, I have to admit it. When I would fly home, we lived way up in the mountains out of San Diego, about an hour, hour and 10 minute drive. And I'd get to the airport and I'd call home. And, I, and my wife would fill me in on each one of the kids. Something happened that day or that week, something else. And my kids would always run out and jump in my arms. And one reason they did, they knew they were going to hear this from daddy. One of the first things, Kelly, mom told me what you did at school today. I so appreciate that. Boy, that's the kind of dad they really want to jump into their arm. Appreciation. And then affection. When we express affection to our children, availability, affirmation, appreciation, affection. When we express affection to our children, it says one thing. I am lovable. Every kid. Every girl, every guy is going to prove to him or herself, I'm lovable. And I'm convinced of this. For 52 years, I've been working with young people. If they don't get it from daddy, they would turn to someone else. And when that little girl becomes pregnant, whatever, maybe you ought to look at yourself. The number one reason I'm convinced young ladies become involved sexually, not the only, but number one is in search of their daddy's love. Number one reason. If they don't get us from us, man, they'll get it from someone else. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. The commandment I leave with you, that you love one another. That's mom, dad, loving our children. There are two ways to do that. One, physically. With a hug, with a kiss with an embrace, with an arm and a shoulder, holding the hand. My wife came to me, and my son is an all-American in everything, I'll tell you. Man, I never knew your kids could become your heroes. My three daughters and my son and my wife are my five greatest heroes in life. Superman comes after that. And we were at this church, and my son came up several times, asked could do something, said yes, and we kiss each other, and then he'd take off. And Dottie came to me and said, Honey, while we're at this church, maybe, could you maybe not kiss Sean? I said, Why? Well, there's this lady, and she just thinks it's so horrible that a father kisses his son. And honey, she intimidates me. I said, No way! I spent my whole life with that child to get him to do that. I'm not going to stop for some lady. So I went out of the way every time I was with him. I was kissing him, kissing him, kissing him right in front of that lady. I spent my whole life for that. And we still, it's incredible. Everywhere I go, we hug each other and we kiss each other. Same way with my daughters. They need to have appropriate physical expression of affection. Now, if you've never done that with your son, you go home, he's 16 years old, you go up to his room tonight, you take off his earphones, 
you throw your arms around and say, son, I love you, and give him a kiss, you'll probably vomit on the carpet. <laughs> then he'll say, mom, dad is sick, but the kid threw up. You got to gradually work up to it, no matter what age. And you got to be sensitive to the... If you start out when they're young, the peers are not an issue. Always, right at school, my kids come jump my arms, give me a kiss. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. You start, but if you start out at about 12, you got to work up to it and be very careful with their peers until you're both comfortable with it. Kids are crying out for it. I meet so many kids who hate their dad. I mean, so many. I hate him. I wish he was dead. I've never met a kid that has never chased after his daddy's love. It's normally when they don't get it reciprocated, they become angry. Then they need to hear it verbally. First, a physical expression of it, and then a verbal expression. For my kids, I figured they needed to hear me 10 times a day when I was home saying, I love you, I love you, or something equivalent to that. Of all the daughters in the world, there's no one I'd rather have as my daughter than you. I love you. You're the most wonderful blonde, blue-eyed, because I had a dark-haired brunette. I, you know, you're the most beautiful blonde, blue-eyed Katie who went to Auburn. Daughter, a dad could ever have. You're one of the most wonderful. And I love you so much. I figured 10 times, now look, just to be honest with you, I hardly ever did it 10 times a day. Some days I maybe did it once, but some days 15. But my go- I had to set a goal 10 times a day. And there's been times I've been in bed and I've had to get up, go downstairs or go upstairs, back to my child's room, and give them a big kiss, even though they were asleep. I never wanted to go a day without saying I love you. When I would call home, I cannot remember... My oldest child is 38, Kelly, who's a child psychiatrist. I cannot ever remember ending a phone call with my children that didn't say, Dad, I love you. Men, it's worth everything to have your child do that. And it's never too late to start where you are. Never. But if you haven't done these things, you have to gradually build up to it. I want to close with a story. There's a timer going off here, and I have no idea what it means. It's at 12 minutes. I know I've spoken more than 12 minutes. I know I have more than 12 minutes left, and it's going up. Just forget it. Yeah. I was in I was in my study and I had a contract on a book deadline and I was writing like mad to finish it and my two year old son a little over two years old walked in to my study man I had such great parenting skills I didn't even have to think about it I said son I'm busy That was a joke before, remember. Son, I'm busy. I'll talk to you later. What does a two-year-old do with that? He turned around and walked out. And I went on writing fast. In about 35 seconds, that kid's mother came into my study. 
And I made one of the biggest mistakes of my life. And I said, honey, I'm busy, not now. Oh, that was the wrong thing at the wrong time. She walked over to my desk. Now, you have to understand, my wife is non-confrontation. I run towards conflict. She runs away from it. I love conflict. She fears conflict. It's the way she was raised. She walked over to my row-top desk where I was writing like mad. She didn't even remember this because it's so contrary to her whole personality. She put her hand right down in my paper, and she said, Mr., when my wife calls me Mr., you listen. She said, Mr., you better listen to me. Said, you're a five-ring circus, honey. You're always going to have a book to write, a contract to meet, a chapter to finish, a talk to prepare. You're always going to need to go to an airport, fly somewhere to give it. Your whole life, you're a five-ring circus. But you won't always have a two-year-old son. Who wants to sit in his daddy's lap and ask him a question. You know what he wanted to do? He had a football in his hand. I wouldn't know if I'd go out and play catch with him. I said, not now, son. I'm too busy. I've got to finish this book. My wife turned around and walked out. I went to my niece within three minutes, and I made a pledge before God. I failed many times. I said, Lord Jesus, from this moment on, I never, ever, ever want to put my family before my ministry. Never. Forgive me for the times I put my children, my wife, before the ministry. I will never do it again. Because that day in my study in my knees, I learned one of the greatest truths of life. Dottie, Kelly, Sean, Katie, and Heather do not come before my ministry. They are my first ministry. And that totally transformed my life. Some of you need to go to your knees when you get home and say, God, I'll never again put my family before my business. Your family is your first business. There's no one thought I've ever had that transformed my behavior more then my family does not come before my ministry. My family is my first ministry. Then my wife that night excused the kids from the table. That's when you know it's coming. You know when the wife says, honey, we need to talk. We need to go back to gridiron. Because you know she's going to love you. Honey, we need to talk. And it's never good. It's never good. She said, honey, and then the second, when she asked the kids to leave, you know you're going to get it. She asked the kids to leave. She said, honey, I want to share something with you that you need to listen to. I said, okay, I'm all ears. (laughs) She said, honey, if you spend time with your children now, they were two and four, they'll spend time with you later. Honey, if you listen to your children now, they will talk to you later. Sweetie, if you talk to your children now, they'll listen to you later. Honey, if you show an interest in your children now, 
they will show an interest in you later. If you love them now, oh, honey, they'll love you later. If you hug them now, they will hug you later. And then the last thing she said, honey, if you put your big fingers between their little tiny fingers now, later they'll put their big fingers between yours. That's the greatest wisdom, including Solomon, I've ever been given. And I just thank God that I listened to her. Let me show you the results of that. My son, shortest kid in his class, practiced three hours a day for about seven years playing basketball. Rain, snow, whatever, he was out there practicing. Little kid, so he'd get these big heavy weight shoes, he'd save up money, buy them, put them on, and he would use them jumping. They weighed a ton. But what that kid could do when he got to junior high and high school and then college was incredible. I made most of his games. They said, one time they were interviewing me, they said, well, don't you resent your father when he's away so much and you have all these games? He said, no, my dad makes more of my games than any father that comes home every night at 5 o'clock. It's not that I made that many games, it's just others don't make many. Well, when he got to college, I tried everything to make every game. I couldn't. But one time, I'm pretty well sure I could make it, but in Salt Lake City, I had like an 18-minute illegal space, but I talked him into doing it. So I didn't want to say I'll be there and then not be there. That's worse. Never promise you're going to take him to Disneyland and not do it. You wait and you absolutely know you can take him to Disneyland, and then you promise. The worst thing is you promise something, then you back off. And... So I didn't tell him I was coming, and I made the connection. And I walked into the arena. It was probably about, it was at Biola University, probably about 3,000 inside packed in. As soon as I walked in the corner, it was like this. I walked in that corner. Everybody's eyes turned on. The women were playing. The men were down here, up here, all dressed, waiting for the men's game, after the women's game. I walked in over there. Everybody recognized who it was. Faces all over turned towards me. I walked across the end of the court, and the eyes followed me. I got to that corner, and my son saw it was me. He jumps up, runs down the bleachers, boom, 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 boom. And here it was. I'm over there, he's over there, and we started walking towards each other. It was incredible. Everybody was looking at him, looking at me, looking at him, looking at me, looking at him. Just like that. And I have to have a lot of security. And one of your greatest securities is being aware of your surrounding. That's, I know when anybody puts their hand in their pocket, in their vest or anything, they can be five rows back from me. I know it. That's the best security you can have. And so I realized what the crowd was doing. And we met right on the side, right in front of the scorekeeper's table, which was two of the little bleachers up there. And we met at each corner. By that time, there was literally tension in the theater. My son wasn't even aware of it. We walked right, right in front of the score, and we threw our arms around each other and gave each other a big kiss. And that crowd, about three, 4,000 students, exploded. Yay! Way to go, Victor! It was incredible. That night, I had to fly back out. I got to the L.A. airport, waiting for the flight, and I thought, boy, that was unusual. So I started asking, why did those kids break out like that? You know what I concluded? Two reasons. 
that every one of them wanted to meet their father at half court and get a hug and a kiss. And I realized the second thing. If I had not listened to my wife, if you spend time with them now, they'll spend time with you later. If you hug them now, honey, they will hug you later. If you kiss them now, they'll kiss you later. If I hadn't met my son at half court when he was two, he would not have met me at half court when he was 20. Do you get that, men? I pray to God, no matter where you are with your family, that you'll make some changes. No matter how good your family is, it can always be better. I never stop trying to be a better dad and a better husband. Never. No matter how good of a family, strange, divorce, whatever, if you meet them at half court now, they'll meet you at half court later, whether they're 20 now and 30 later. These four principles can help you. And if you send me an email, josh.mcdowell at josh.org, and say, please send me your notes. That way I don't have to make a list or anything. I can just hit it and it'll click right to you. And I'll get it to you immediately. You can pass it on to your pastor, whatever. Because you're not going to remember what I've shared here. This is my way of, I hope, continuing the ministry when you return home. Folks, I flew in Friday just to be here for the whole... Con I usually don't do that, but you know one reason why I did it? There's no one in ministry I respect more, as much, yes, but more than Phil and his wife. And I wanted to be here to say, Phil, you're important. This conference is important. I want to be a complete... Most speakers, you come in, you speak, you leave. You have to. But I made sure. I had no other speaking engagements or anything. I sat right over there the whole time, and I got to tell you, very few conferences do I leave a better person when I walked in. I am going home this afternoon to spend all day tomorrow with all my kids, grand, eight grandkids. But I'm going home a better person because I was here with you and I heard Tim and Luther. I heard Dan, oh, standing in the workplace. And I heard Phil. And I was able to, I met so many of you here, chatted, heard your stories and all. So I just want to say thank you for allowing me to be here with you to share my heart and to be ministered back to by this entire Gridiron Conference. Now, I want to end this way. Men, we got choices. One of my heroes in life is Daniel. They were enticing him with many temptations. It says in Daniel 1, and Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. You know what that says literally in the Hebrew? It's interesting. He made a decisive decision. A decisive decision. I'm not going to defile myself. Well, I want to end my time asking you to make a decisive decision. Because I've learned one thing. There's very little follow-through if we don't make decisions. 
We have been fed. We have. From starting last night all through today, we have no excuse. So here's my challenge to you. The family is not failing because of the church. Everybody believes that. I believe it's backwards. The church is failing because of the family. You hear me? I've never heard anyone else ever in life say that. The church is failing because of the family. It's not the other way around like everybody preaches. I want to ask you, with all that we've heard here, we have to respond to it, folks. In fact, I'm going to sit down because I want to be able to stand. I want you, if God has worked something significant in your heart and mind in these last 30-some hours, what you've heard from all the speakers, from each other, even thinking back to some of the things your own pastor taught, are you willing here in front of everyone Many of you have your children here. There's others from your church who will hold you accountable. Are you willing in just a moment to make a decisive decision? By God's grace, I'm going to do everything to be a godly husband and a godly father to make a difference in my family and in my church. Now, folks... Don't do it unless you're really sincere because there'll be others looking at you. But can you do that? I did that when my wife shared with me that wisdom. Spend time with your children now, later. I made a decisive decision. I'm going to stand tall in my home against all odds. So right now, If God has done a significant work in your heart since you got here, brought things together you learned before, can you stand to your feet right now and say, God, I want to be your man standing in my home. I want to stand with you. said it here I don't know who that when you make a commitment you need to tell someone I would encourage you to tell one other man who's not here the commitment you just made and second I challenge you to tell your wife and tell your children it can be pretty difficult Some of you need to apologize to your wife and your children. But you learned some steps here. Some simple steps, and I'm going to email you others very clear with the graphics, everything, that can help you go from here. You know it, you've learned it, now it's your choice. Every year I met with every one of my children, and I said, my oldest, I said, honey, I've never been a father of a 7-year-old, 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old daughter. Honey, I need your help. I want to be the best father I can. Not the best father in the world. I want to be the best father that I can by God's grace. And if you see anything in my life that can make me a better father to you, you have my freedom to tell me. Then my son, I've never been a father 
of a 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, 16-year-old son. Same thing. Katie, I've never been a father of a blonde, blue-eyed daughter before. And if I'm not all that you believe God intended me to be as your daddy, you have my freedom to tell me. Heather, I've never been a father of an adopted black-haired, black-eyed daughter before. And honey, if there's anything that I can do better to be a better daddy to you, to love you better, whatever, you have my freedom to tell me. And when they do, don't become defensive. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the privilege of being here this weekend. To hear Frank, to hear Phil, to hear Tim, to hear Dan. Oh, Father, I just want to stand tall in the marketplace and I want to go eat at Chick-fil-A. And Father, I thank you for what Phil's shared about standing tall in the church. Lord, I pray that as the majority of us have stood to our feet and made a decision. And Lord, as we've learned here, that without others coming around us, encourage us, and it will fall away from it. So with each other here, become partners of reminding each other, encouraging each other to follow through in this decision. And Lord, I pray that if we had another meeting like this a year from now, the stories would be incredible what happened in various homes because these men, these grandfathers took a stand. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. On the screen, I hope they put up there my email again. Just email me, josh.mcdowell at josh.org and I will get you all my notes. I will annotate my outline with each point and some of the ones I didn't go over. And you can even pass them on to other men doing a Bible study. You don't have to say you got it from me. They're yours if I send them to you. You just take and share them. Just internalize them in your own life. Thank you so much for giving me the privilege of being a part of your life today. God bless. Josh McDowell. Amen. Love you, man.